the the expression Eastern Europe is best understood as a not as a geographical term but as a political term, and I've always used it to refer to those countries which are in under the Soviet bloc rule between 1945 and 1989, but were not part of the Soviet Union itself. I mean, you can also extend it to include the Soviet Union or to speak about the Soviet Union, but Eastern Europe really, in 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 modern terms, usually means that region. So the, the the countries which are now, many of which are now in the European Union, but were once part of the Warsaw Pact. The nations of uh, East Central Europe uh, have been the most successful. Uh, they were they were the ones that moved most rapidly to a system of uh, democratic capitalism, of liberal economics. Uh, they were able to most sex successfully adopt uh, rule of law uh, and to reform their judicial and political systems. Uh, I mean, by East Central Europe, I mean Poland, Hungary, the Czechs and the Slovaks. Uh, you can include the Baltic states. They, they, they come a little bit later, and they're, it's more complicated because they're coming out of the Soviet Union. Um, generally, the, the states that were, I mean, I, in fact, the, 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 the one factor that it was most important in ensuring the success of a country which was emerging from communism and, and making a transition towards market capitalism, the most important factor was the existence of an alternative elite. Uh, those countries where there was a network of whether you call it an opposition or whether you call it something else, in some cases it was partly a business class, an alternative elite, people who had some, perhaps some historical memory of capitalism and democracy from the past, um, people who had worked together in, in, in an opposition, um, an informal or illegal opposition for, for the previous decade or two, uh, people who had some alternate set of values which they um, were able to articulate, and also people who had thought about government and about ways to reform it. So, for example, in Poland and Hungary, there were quite large and, in fact, extensive groups of economists who met together regularly, who exchanged ideas, who, all throughout the 1980s, were already talking about how you reform a centrally planned economy, even before it was possible, and even before it was really even thinkable. They'd begun to think about what it would take to carry out these reforms. Uh, in Poland, you had the remnants of what had been the Solidarity Trade Union movement, which remained active underground throughout the 1980s. And this was a very complex network of people that print, they printed newspapers, they organized art exhibits. Um, they constituted, in effect, a shadow political party. They had alternate ideas. They, were, they criticized the government. They were, a, they were a known force. They knew each other, and they'd worked together. They didn't all like each other, but they were... They were a consistent group of people, and when communism fell, it, 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 was, it seemed natural to many people, and they had a certain amount of legitimacy from the work they'd done in the past to take power. And the, the Czechoslovakia had Václav Havel and, and the people around him. Havel had already thought through, uh, he, had, he, had, he wrote really the most eloquent critique of the totalitarian system and the most eloquent description of how to oppose it in a famous essay called The Power of the Powerless. And he was, once again, a, a natural alternative. He was somebody who seemed to have a separate set of values and who had people around him and could, was able to, to, to make them to take power when the communist system collapsed. Countries which did not have this had more trouble making the change because, as it turned out, the, if that's the single most important factor, the thing, single most important policy, it was almost actually, it almost didn't matter 
what you privatized or when you privatized or how you did it. The, question, the thing that mattered the most was speed. And those countries which were able to do things quickly and which were able to um, both privatize the market and liberalize their politics and free prices and do a myriad of things at once and quickly were the ones that were most successful. Countries which tried to do things gradually from whatever motives, now certainly Romania and Bulgaria both had post-communist governments which tried to do things more gradually and many of the, the post-Soviet countries did as well. And whatever the motives, it, it turned out that a gradual reform often meant that countries became stuck in a system of crony capitalism or rent-seeking capitalism because some of the, you know, the, very quickly people began to learn how to make money off the transition. They learned how to use, you know, regulations and high customs duties and import export restrictions in, in order to make money in a corrupt way. And once that had, um, once those systems began to kick in and began to began to work, and those people began to gain money and political power, it became much harder to complete the reform. I don't think that there are direct lessons that can be learned from Eastern Europe. In other words, the ways in which the Czechs privatize their media is not necessarily exactly the way that somebody would want to do it in Morocco or in Egypt. Um, however, I do think that the experience of the countries in those regions is is extremely useful to people who are trying to make transitions in other parts of the world. And I've actually witnessed this. You know, when you send somebody from Poland to Tunisia and the Poles begin to explain, here's what we did to our newspaper industry or here's what we did to our state industries. The Tunisians are interested, not again, because it's exactly the same or because Poland is similar to Tunisia, but because the issues they ran into and the were very often quite similar. So the um, you know, the, the question of media ownership and uh, should there be regulation over it and what should the new libel laws look like and, and these kinds of issues that arose in, in the East European transitions um, also arise in other parts of the world and other transitions. And so the East Europeans can't provide a formula for change, but they can, but their, their, their experience is useful for people who are trying to make changes because because so many of the problems are the same and because some sometimes by explaining how they came to their conclusions or by how they failed really to find ways to doing things ways of doing things then that that helps people who are undergoing a similar or parallel kind of process to to make their own decisions